Please be seated. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, Lakeview Church. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to be the one who opens the word of the Lord with you this morning, and that is truly a great uh, honor and privilege for me. Um, I have a friend who is a pastor in Michigan. His name's Jeremy Wrightball, and he's a great guy. He's a pastor at Woodside Bible Church, uh, this massive church, uh, about 12 or 13 or 15 campuses all over Michigan. And, uh, he's, he's a wonderful man, and the reason I'm mentioning him to you this morning is that in 2014, his mother, Nancy Wrightball, made international news as one of two Americans that had been infected with the Ebola virus. Nancy is a missionary, and she works with an organization called Serving in Mission, and she was in Libya uh, ministering to victims of the Ebola virus, and uh, she contracted the disease. So this, of course, uh, Ebola was this huge scare uh, a few years ago, and there was a lot of panic about it, and rightly so. It's highly contagious, very deadly, uh, not really any known cure at the time that the Ebola outbreak happened. And Nancy uh, was flown back to the United States. She was treated. She survived. Um, and so I don't know if you followed that on the news, but you probably saw an interview with her on national news. And uh, after she was uh, recovered from that, a couple of years ago, Nancy went back to Libya, where Ebola is still present, um, and people are still getting sick over there. Of course, it's not quite the epidemic that it was, but she's back in Libya and serving and reaching out. Her fear of the Ebola virus did not overpower her willingness to step into the lives of those people who were suffering and hurting and bring the love of Christ to them. And so I just wonder, how do you think it would feel to have the Ebola virus? How do you think you would feel as a person if you knew that if you discovered that you had contracted this disease that was very painful, would, would cause you to suffer, and um, would also, because of the nature of the disease it, it being so highly contagious, it means that you no longer have contact with any other human being who's not wearing a spacesuit, right? How would that feel? It would, it, it would feel, you would feel unclean. You would feel defiled. You would feel disgusting. You would feel like an, an outcast of society. I wonder if you have ever felt that way. Maybe not because you contracted a highly dangerous and contagious disease, but have you ever felt unloved or unworthy? Have you ever felt unincluded? Has anybody ever uh, purposefully not invited you to this family gathering or purposefully not included you in this conversation or in this circle? Have you ever felt sort of on the outside, kind of like an outcast in your circle? Or maybe let's turn the table on that. Do you know anybody in your world who is a social outcast? Can you think of anybody, if you close your eyes and you picture can you think of the person who sits at the lunch table by themselves in the cafeteria or in the break room and nobody really talks to them? Is there somebody around you or somebody that you know in your family or at your workplace or in your school or in your church family that is sort of on the fringes, on the outside? They're not really included in. They're not really accepted in to the in crowd. 
How do you react to that person? How do you respond to that person? What do you do when you think about that person? And most of us, if we close our eyes and we think about that, we can probably picture somebody's face that comes to our mind. Because we all probably know somebody who is left on the outside. And, and what do you do when you encounter them? Are you tempted to just go about your regular life, you know, sort of uh, overlook them the way everybody else does or, or skirt around them, avoid them a little bit? Is, is that where the temptation comes in? Or, or do you reach out to them? What do you do when you encounter someone who is unclean or unacceptable? In the story in Mark's gospel that we're going to look at today, Jesus encounters somebody who is unclean and unacceptable and untouchable and unworthy and unholy and un-whatever-you-want-to-fill-in-the-blank. He encounters someone like that, and we're going to see what he does with that person. So this is the second week in the gospel of Mark. We started that last Sunday, and the title of the series is, Who is This Man? Because the purpose of Mark's gospel is to answer the question of who this man is. Who is this man that heals sick people? Who is this man that uh, casts out demons? Who is this man who brings the dead back to life? Who is this man who so uh, antagonized the religious leaders of his day that they murdered him? Who is this man whose life and story has changed the course of human history? and has caused literally billions of people over thousands of years to put their faith in him. Who is that guy? Because that's somebody that's a little different than normal. And we saw last week that Mark's answer to the question of who is this man is this. Jesus is the Son of God who brings the kingdom of God near. Who is this man? He's the Son of God who brings the kingdom of God near. Near And all throughout Mark's gospel, we're going to see how he proves that point, how he answers that question. And the kingdom of God is often at odds with the kingdom of the world. God's ways are not our ways. And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's values are not our values. The kingdom of God is oftentimes polar opposite from the kingdom of the world. And when Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of God near, he has to turn the kingdom of the world upside down on its head. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this story. In fact, this story at the end of chapter 1 in Mark's gospel is the first major shift in the gospel. It's the first turning point. The opening scenes of Mark's gospel in in chapter 1 Uh, Jesus comes on to the scene and he begins to do his ministry and he's well accepted and he's well loved and people are sort of awestruck by him. And then in this scene, at the end of the first chapter, Jesus breaks the rules. He does something that good moral leaders don't do. He does something that good uh, religious teachers don't do. He does something that people who set a good example for the rest of us to follow don't do. Jesus breaks the rules, and this is a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. The next five scenes in Mark's Gospel after this one, Jesus begins to face a growing opposition from the religious leaders. It gets more intense and more intense, and their hatred of him and their rejection of him gets more intense until uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 6, the religious leaders actually go out and plot how they're going to kill Jesus. 
And it all starts back here in the scene that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. If you want to find that in your Bibles, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. In this story, Mark tells us how Jesus makes the unclean clean. He answers the question, how does Jesus make the unholy holy? He shows us what Jesus does when he encounters someone that the world has rejected and shoved on on the outside. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. If you'll follow along, I put the words up on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible as well. It opens up with this. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I have to push pause just for a moment. The, The original readers of Mark would have understood what this meant for a man with leprosy to come and talk to Jesus. See, leprosy was in their day the way Ebola is in our day. It was, there was a lot of hype about it. There was a lot of fear around it. Leprosy was a defiling disease. It wasn't just a sickness. It was an uncleanness. There was no cure for leprosy. It was a very debilitating disease. It, it was a skin disease that would cause rashes and boils and sores. And it did nerve damage. And so what would happen is, like, the, the nerves in, the, in your fingers would die because of the disease, and then you wouldn't be able to feel your fingers. So you might be cutting up a food for supper and cut your, the tip of your finger off with a knife, and you wouldn't even know it, and you'd just keep on cutting up the food because the nerves in your finger are dead. Or you might touch something hot, and you don't realize you've touched it because you don't feel it, because the nerves have been destroyed by the leprosy. And so this would create sores and wounds, and they, they didn't always get noticed right away, and, and they would get infected, and they would ooze. And they smelled bad, and it was nasty, and it was disgusting, and your, your nose would be eaten away by this virus and, you, and this uh, infection, and your ears would be eaten away, and you would get all these sores, and it was, it was very nasty. And there was no cure. It was incredibly painful. And there was no cure. And it killed most of the people that infected. And there was no cure. And so the, the ancients, what they would do they didn't, know how to, they didn't know what to do with this disease. So what they would do is they would shun the lepers. People that are infected with leprosy had to, to stay on the outside. We read this in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. These are the instructions for someone with leprosy. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. This isn't uh, take two pills and call me in the morning. This is a sentence. You have leprosy? Here's your sentence. Tear your clothes. Mess up your hair. Walk around with your face covered, shouting, unclean, unclean, because Anybody that, that comes near you is, is susceptible to the disease. It's highly contagious through physical touch. So you had to shout, unclean. You had to announce that you are unclean so that people would get out of your way. 
People in that time period hated and despised lepers. They were afraid of them. They held them in contempt. If a leper would come close to a town, it was not uncommon for the townspeople to come out to the edge of town and begin to throw rocks at the leper to drive them away. They didn't care that that person was hungry. They didn't care that that person was lonely. They didn't care that that person was hurting and suffering. They didn't want that unclean disease defiling their town. And if someone was infected with leprosy, a lot of times their house would be destroyed. Their garments, their clothing would be destroyed, burned. It was a very disgusting and defiling and unclean condition. So the fact that a man with leprosy comes to Jesus and Jesus lets him come up to him and kneel, the people reading Mark's gospel would say, what in the heck is going on in this story? What is Jesus doing? Why is he letting an unclean leper come up to him? Oh my goodness, something is happening. Something is going on. The leper comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Again, I want to step out of the story just for a moment. If you're reading the NIV, uh, you see the word indignant. Jesus was indignant. Most other English translations, if you have an older NIV, uh, the 1984 NIV, or if you have another English translation, most other translations say something like, Jesus was moved with compassion or filled with pity. Uh, so the question is, was Jesus compassionate or angry? Right? That, why does the NIV use the word indignant, which is actually, they sort of soften the, the original word that, the, that was written in Greek as anger. Jesus was angry, and the NIV quarters softens it down a little bit to say indignant. But what is, what's the deal? Why, why do different Bibles translate different ways? Well, most English translations choose the word compassion, uh, but most modern scholars believe that anger is actually the better translation. And this is why the NIV uh, chooses indignant or anger. But it really doesn't change the overall meaning of the passage. The original Greek text is a little unclear as to which word uh, which is the best translation. But it doesn't change the meaning of the story. The point is, Jesus was deeply moved by this man's condition. We know that he had compassion on the man because we see what he does when he, when he heals the man. So we know that he was compassionate and filled with compassion, but it's also possible that he was filled with anger at this man's suffering, at this a debilitating disease that would disfigure a child of God made in the image of God. It's possible that Jesus was filled with anger at this man's being shunned by society and the condition of the fallen world. And Jesus is righteously angered by the condition of this world that somebody would contract a disease that would make them unclean, that not only would they suffer physically, but they would be ostracized and held in contempt by society. So Jesus is deeply moved by this man's condition, and he's going to do something about it. Jesus was indignant. He reached his hand out and touched the man. He reached his hand out and touched the man. So imagine that somebody's infected with Ebola sitting right up here in the front, and you come up and you reach out and touch them. 
That's the same scenario played out 2,000 years ago. Jesus touches the leper. He breaks the rules. Lepers were not supposed to be touched. That didn't fit with the world's value system. But Jesus turns the world upside down. He breaks the rules. He touches the untouchable. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. And, and, and rather than Jesus being defiled by this man's leprosy, instead, verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus' touch healed the man. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I love this story. I love how Jesus turns the value system of the world upside down, how he breaks the rules, how he shows compassion on the hurting, and he heals and cleanses a man. And how does Jesus make the unclean clean? Here's how. This is the big idea of this story. Jesus makes the unclean clean because he is willing, he is able, and he is self-sacrificing. Jesus makes the unholy holy because that's what he came to do. He's powerful enough to do it, and he's willing to pay the price. Let's look at each one of these things in turn. Number one, Jesus makes the unclean clean because he is willing. He makes the unholy holy because that's what he came to do. The leper came to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you're able to make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. Now, Jesus had the power that he could have stood, you know, the appropriate distance away from the leper. He could have said, I am willing, be clean. And the leprosy would have been cured, right? Because Jesus is God, so he has the power to do that. But his actions speak louder than words. He doesn't just stand way far away and say, be clean, be clean. No, he, he reaches out his hand and touches the leper. Actions speak louder than words. See, Jesus knew, yes, this man needed to be healed from this debilitating disease. Absolutely. But you know what this man needed more than that? To be loved. To be included. To be cleansed. This man did not ask Jesus to heal him. He didn't say, if you're, if you're willing, you're able to heal me. And Jesus didn't say, be healed. He said, if you're willing, you're able to make me clean. And Jesus said, be made clean. Be cleansed. It's not just about the disease. It's not just about his physical suffering. Jesus knew that what this man needed was to be included. It, it was to be loved. It was to be touched by a human being. Because this man had been ostracized and rejected and cast away. And that's exactly what Jesus gave him. The love that he so desperately needed. The acceptance that he was craving and looking for. And, by the way, he healed his leprosy. Jesus is so nice. 
He gives us what we need, and sometimes he gives us more. Jesus makes the unclean clean because he is willing. He is willing to touch the untouchable. Um, you've probably all heard the story of Helen Keller, right? She was a, a girl, she, as a baby, she lost her sight and her hearing through a, a very um, high fever that she contracted. So she was deaf and blind. She never learned how to talk. She never learned how to read. She didn't know how to communicate. She lost those senses from the time she was a baby. And her parents loved her. And in, a, in an era where everybody said, put her in a home, she can live her life out in a padded room. There's never going to be any hope for her. Just put her in her home on the outside of society. It does, doesn't matter. She's a defect. And in that era, her parents said, no, we're not going to do that. So they uh, brought in teacher after teacher to try to work with her. And, the, and all the teachers kept leaving. And then they brought in a, a young lady named Ann Sullivan. And she didn't know exactly what to do. She didn't have a game plan. She didn't have a strategy mapped out. You know, she didn't have an individual education plan with all the goals and everything like that. She was willing to be there. She was willing to stand by Helen Keller's side and figure out what do we need to do to teach this little girl. And she was successful because she was willing. She ended up teaching her how to speak with sign language on the hand because Helen Keller couldn't see. So you would do signs in the hand, and she could feel the signs and know how to speak. She taught her how to read Braille. She taught her uh, how to communicate and how to write. Um, And uh, Helen Keller eventually went on to school and went to college and earned a college degree. Deaf and blind, in an era where everybody else would have rejected her and put her in a home and locked her away in a padded cell for the rest of her life, because Ann Keller was, uh, Ann Sullivan was willing to stand by her side, she made a difference. And and this is the question, are we willing? Are we willing, like Jesus, to stand by someone? Who is your leper? Who is the leper in your circle? Who's that person on the outside, on the fringes of your world? Who is that person that everyone else overlooks, that no one else includes? Who is that person? Are you willing to love them? I want you to say this phrase after me. I I want this to be one of the core values at Lakeview Church. I want you to say this phrase. We will not forget those Jesus remembers. Would you say that? We will not forget those Jesus remembers. One more time. We will not forget those Jesus remembers. I was reading a, a pastor's blog, you know, in church land, there's all these blogs all the time, and and this blog was saying, I, I was, it was a, about how to transition to be a new senior pastor. And so I was reading this, and the, the guy in the blog said, identify the 100 most important, most influential people in your community and work as a goal to meet every single one of them in person over the next year. And I thought, well, okay, that makes sense from like a corporate perspective, you know, the business world. But what did Jesus do? He met with the guy that no one else would even talk to. He didn't go meet with all the important, hoity-toity, wealthy influencers of the community. No, Jesus went out and met with the leper. He was willing. And I want to never forget those who Jesus remembers. Jesus makes the unclean clean because he's willing. Number two, Jesus makes the unclean clean because he is able. He makes the unholy holy because he's powerful enough to do it. When he touched the leper immediately 
immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. See, in that time period, and really today, when something is dirty or defiled and it's touched, whatever touches it becomes dirty and defiled. So think about going into a public restroom, right? Whatever you touch, you don't make it clean because you touched it. Now you have to wash your hands. And this is so fun with four little boys who never want to wash their hands, right? No, you can't touch that. Uh, let's go wash your hands. Because it's dirty, so when I touch it, I become dirty. It's defiled, so when I touch it, I become defiled. And, and that day, the leper was unclean. So if you touch a leper, you become unclean. Now you have to step outside of society. Now you're shunned by the rest of society because whatever is defiled, defiles. But not with Jesus. Whatever Jesus touches becomes clean. Because Jesus' holiness is more powerful than our unholiness. And I, I love the way that James Edwards put, put it. Unlike an ordinary rabbi, Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease. Rather, the leper is cleansed and healed by Jesus' contagious holiness. Leprosy was a contagious disease, but Jesus' holiness was more contagious. And it drove the leprosy right out of that man's body. And that's exactly what Jesus does with us. Our sin does not defile God. But our sin does not stay in the presence of God. And when we come into the presence of the Lord, when we encounter him, he drives the sin right out of us. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we hold on to it. No, I don't want to let that sin go. No, no, no. But our sin doesn't make God unclean. Jesus turns the world's system upside down, and he cleanses. What he touches becomes clean because he is powerful enough to do it. Um, I grew up in Missouri, and in Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, and so that's the setting of the Mark Twain stories, you know, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer. So there's a, a cave in Hannibal called the Mark Twain Cave. This is a picture of the cave. It's not like a super impressive cave. There's no underground caverns as big as this room or anything like that. But it's still kind of neat. And we went back this summer, and we took the boys through the Mark Twain Cave. Uh, and it's, it's fun. This is their first time ever to be in a cave, and, you know, they're scared and excited. And there's this, the middle of the, of the tour. You're deep underground in the cave, and they shut off all the lights, and it's completely pitch black, completely. And then the tour guide holds up a little, flash, a little flashlight. And it is amazing how that little light fills the whole room because light is more powerful than darkness. Light dispels darkness. There's never a time when darkness overcomes light. Light, ever, anywhere there's light, darkness can't be. Light overpowers it. Light, dis, light dispels it. And that's just what happens here. And I think, the, I think the challenge for us is be the light. Be the light. Be willing and able to reach out to somebody with the love of Christ. Look around the break room. Look around the lunch room. Look, look for that person sitting by themselves. Look, look at your next family gathering for the person who's sitting in the corner that nobody's talking to. And go sit down with them and be the light. Reach out and touch them and include them. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have the same power at work in you through God the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You have the power to overcome the darkness. And you can, just like Jesus, have a contagious 
holiness that will draw people to the Lord. Jesus makes the unclean clean because he's willing, because he's able. And number three, he makes the unclean clean because he is self-sacrificing. Jesus makes the unholy holy because he is willing to pay the price. I love the irony in this story. At the beginning of the story, Jesus is walking around in town, from town to town, proclaiming the gospel, teaching and driving out demons and healing people. And then uh, and the leper is on the outside, excluded, cast out. But at the end of the story, the leper is going around from town to town, from village to village, proclaiming his healing and telling everybody how Jesus did. And Jesus is left out. Jesus is no longer able to enter a town openly. Jesus has to stay out in the lonely places. Jesus switched places with the leper. And Jesus switches places with us. That's what the gospel is all about. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. He's the kind of king that reaches out and switches places with the castouts, the rejects, the untouchables. You know, no king, no ruler, no powerful person in any kingdom, in any society, in any government, in any business in our world, no powerful person would ever personally care about and reach out and switch places with the cast out, the reject, the untouchable, the unlovely, the unworthy. That doesn't happen, but it does with Jesus. Because he's not the same kind of king as the kings of this world. He's not the same kind of person as the celebrities of this world, as the popular people, as the in crowd. That's not who Jesus is. And he turns the world upside down because this is the king who steps off of his throne and steps into our world so that we can switch places with him. Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the kind of king who switches places with the unlovable and the unworthy and he makes them lovable and worthy. Jesus turns the world's kingdom upside down. He turns the world's value system on its head. See, the world says, I will love you if you are lovely. I will accept you if you are acceptable. I will value you if you are valuable. But you have to prove to me that you're lovely. You have to make yourself acceptable. You have to make yourself a valuable person in order for me to love you and accept you and value you. That's, that's the way the world works. But that's not the gospel. And that's not the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, Jesus says, I love you, therefore you are lovely. I value you, therefore you are valuable. I include you, therefore you are accepted. Jesus makes the poor rich. He makes the sinner righteous. He makes the sick well. He makes the dead live. He makes the reject his friend. He makes the unacceptable acceptable. He makes the untouchable touchable. 
He makes the unlovely lovely. That's the God that we serve. And that is the good news that the Son of God brings to us. And I think somebody in here this morning needs to hear this truth. There is a God who loves you. Not just us. There is a God who loves you personally. Not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, not because you're so good, not because of what you bring to the table. There is a God who loves you personally, and he cares about you personally, and he cares about the decisions that you make in your life, and he wants you to know that he loves you so much that he left the splendor of heaven and switched places with you so that he hung on the cross so that you could live. Somebody needs to hear that. Jesus shed his blood so that you, you could be clean. And this reminds me, uh, reminded me this week of a hymn, an old song we used to sing when I was a kid. And it's such a, a perfect message. If you could put the word, so um, the way that we would sing it when I was a kid is we'd do like a sort of a call and response type thing. So the worship leader would sing the first line and then the bold lines the congregation would sing. So I wonder if if we could just, if you know this hymn, maybe you don't, but you can pretend. Um, Let's just do that together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? For my pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this my plea. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You are beautiful. You are priceless. You are treasured. You are loved by the God of heaven. Will you come to Jesus this morning and be made clean? That's the invitation that Mark gives us today. We will not forget those Jesus remembers. We are willing and able in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the love of Christ. And no matter who you are or what's been done to you or where you've been, you can come to Jesus and be made clean. Because you are loved by God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus is the kind of God who loves us in spite of who we are, in spite of my imperfections and my mistakes, in spite of my decisions that have made me unclean, and in spite of things that have been done to me that defile me. Jesus looks past all of that and he reaches into our mess and he puts his arms around us and he invites us in. 
and whatever he touches becomes clean. Lord, I pray that somebody this morning so desperately needed to hear that there is a God who loves them beyond anything they can ever imagine. And that when they feel like a reject or an outcast, they can know they're accepted. They don't have to make themselves lovely. They're lovely because you love them. And that they would be willing to come to you like this leper to respond to you by simply crying out to you and saying, make me clean. And you answer that prayer by making us clean. We thank you for the gospel, the good news. We thank you for your son. And we thank you for your healing and your cleansing. In Jesus' name, amen.